Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 246 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show has helped grow seven startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in a total value of more than $3 billion. He is currently Chief Marketing Officer for Thycotic, a cybersecurity company which he has helped take from $10 million to over $60 million in his first three years. And late last year, his book, Be a Startup Superstar, Ignite Your Career Working at a Tech Startup, was published by Wiley. So welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, Steve Kahan. Great to be with you, Phil. Steve, maybe we can start by um, you telling us a little bit about your own experience with startups and where you got into the startup world. Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, um, I'm now with my seven startup, uh, all of whom successfully uh, sold or have gone public. That is uh, not exactly how I started my career. I actually started my career uh, going to work for uh, a large corporation. And what I found very quickly is that the traditional path from school to climbing the corporate ladder uh, could not only be high risk for my career, in many ways it felt like a death trap. And you know, I sort of recall my father telling me so many times when I was growing up, he'd say, Steve, get your degree go to work for a large corporation, you work hard, they'll take care of you, and you'll have a great career. And then he'd say, of course, your mother and I would much prefer that you become a doctor or a lawyer, but uh, short of that, getting a job at a large corporation will do. And so that was the path I took. And I remember uh, working for that large corporation, processing claims, looking at that pile of claims. I had a process that day and staring at my bank statement and was down to $50 in my bank account, and, and the student loans would eat my paychecks before they'd ever get a chance to, to hit my bank account. And I asked myself an important question, and that was, how could I earn a great living and love the work I do? And that took me to the startup world, and I've been there ever since and have loved every minute of it. So what was the first startup you joined, and, and, and how did that come about? When I decided to leave that large corporation, I, quite frankly, I made all the mistakes in the world. Subsequently, I've, I've learned a lot of how to pick the winners. But I remember sort of um, looking for uh, startup companies in and around the Midwest, which is where I was. And so I took a job at a company that uh, was uh, focused on changing the way applications were being developed at that time. And I was the first person hired in marketing. And it was an amazing experience because it gave me the opportunity to learn as much as you could ever imagine. Because if it was going to get done, I was going to be the one to do it. And I remember on my first day, I'll never forget it, I looked at the office next to mine and, and there were people unplugging the copy machine, putting it on a dolly and literally rolling it right out of the office 
And I came to find out a few days later, it was because the company couldn't afford to pay for that copy machine. Uh, But I was blind to it at the time. I was so pumped and excited to work with a small team of crazies, hell bent on changing the world. And of course, changing the way applications were being developed. And and I took the opportunity to learn everything I could. And just a few years later, past that, that company actually went public and I got the bug and never left the startup world. Sure. So I presume they managed to purchase themselves a new coffee machine by then. Uh, yes, <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> so why would you recommend to somebody who's, who's obviously working in the tech uh, world at the moment, why they should potentially move from a large corporation to a startup? You know, first of all, maybe I could start by defining what a startup actually is. So according to the United States Small Business Administration, they would say that a startup company is, is a company that's been in business for under a year and is in the formative stages. But I think that actually paints a poor picture for what defines a startup. And Doug Irwin, a friend of mine, chairman of a venture capital firm and serial technology entrepreneur, um, he offers a, a, a far better definition. And he says that a startup is a company that operates like it's the last frontier for outlaws, a place where nonconformists can live, create, and sell their ideas. And to me, that's so cool because who doesn't want to be involved in that? It's sort of the place where you get to be the rough riding rebel running circles around the slow moving bureaucratic large organizations. So first of all, a startup, it's a culture, it's a mindset. It is that team of crazies hell-bent on changing the world. And for me, when you look at large corporations, you'll oftentimes find that they're burdened by incumbent mindsets. The barriers to advancement are high. You're typically hired into a pigeonholed, smaller uh, role. And they're kind of like giant ships. They're hard to maneuver. They're slower to change. They tend to accept more of the status quo, have more bureaucracy. And contrast that to a startup. The startup is really an organization that's it's really a speedboat. It's darting around those giant ships. There's more innovation. It, it moves fast, tends to be more nimble. You know, there's a better chance uh, to move up quickly if you deliver. And certainly there's risk, there's more frequent change, there may be less training or certainly formally defined career paths. But if you're entrepreneurial and you like to have uh, greater versatility in your role and access to the leaders in a company, without question, a startup is a place that you really ought to consider. I've often heard um, of organizations trying to create their own startup culture within a particular area within their business. Is that something you've ever been involved in yourself? Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because we partner with a lot of, um, at my current company, Thycotic, a lot of uh, large organizations. And those large organizations, you can't believe how many meetings that I am in with senior people at those large companies where they will basically apologize before they give an answer that they know is laden with unnecessary bureaucracy or they're sort of embarrassed how slow that they move. And, and, you know, you, you kind of think for a moment, 
uh, that if the CEO of those organizations had a magic wand and could wave it, that the one thing they might ask for is that their company would act more like a startup even for just one day. And so I think it's not so much the you know forging of that culture uh, because to some extent, at least within the organizations that I'm in and have been with, you have to act those way, that way. You're taking on bigger, better funded competitors that have all of the advantages. You've got to uh, learn how to overcome lots of obstacles and you know you have a chance to move very quickly because there really is no other option. It's part of what your advantage is. And so in most startups, uh, what you'll find it's it's a culture that doesn't necessarily gets uh, shaped because it starts out with some definition that it wants to be that way. It's more of that those companies almost have to act that way. And as a result, they tend to recruit and attract people who love things that are entrepreneurial, who love to, as I mentioned, have greater versatility in their role, who love to try new things, who uh, don't necessarily accept the status quo, who aren't freaked out by change that certainly is inevitable no matter where you are. And so I think that many companies would like to have those attributes, but startups have them. And in my experience, it in many ways is because the nature of them, that they have to be that way. So if I was an individual thinking about joining a startup company, how, how would I go about sort of trying to identify those opportunities? Where would I go or look? When you look at the opportunities, I mean, there's certainly a number of ways to look for you know, really good opportunities that are out there. And so what I'd like to do maybe is to share some ideas of where some of the, your listeners might go look for those opportunities, right? And so yeah. me, I think uh, first and foremost is that I would encourage your listeners to explore accelerators or technology accelerators. And accelerators exist in virtually every major city and these tend to be application-only programs that provide capital, mentorship, and educational opportunities to startups. So one of the really cool things is that those companies associated with those accelerators oftentimes advertise their open positions right from those websites. And most people don't know that. And so if you Google the accelerator in a particular city, you're going to find some hidden gems for jobs that you might not know about. Another uh, way that, uh, that I don't see enough people actually utilize is by engaging startup leaders online, right? And so if you find companies that you're interested in, follow some of their leaders on social media, read their posts, when you see something interesting or something that you have questions about, reach out. And so I've had a number of people, for example, reach out to me via uh, LinkedIn Messenger, as an example. And these are people oftentimes that want to sort of avoid the trial and error approach to growing their own career and want to be able to learn. And what you'll often find is 
you can bypass HR. You could go directly to those leaders. Don't be dissuaded if you don't hear from every one of them. They're busy people. Uh, But what you'll find more often than not is that those very same people, uh, they had many others that helped them along the way in their own careers, and they want to be able to pay it forward. And the key is, is just don't come across as salesy if you are heartfelt and sincere in terms of looking to gain some career advice uh, based upon the success that that other person has had. And then oftentimes what you'll find is then that leader will naturally transition that conversation back to you, where you could start to talk about yourself. And that uh, opens you up to opportunities, not only within that organization, but with that person's network. So two ways I think that are often underutilized that can really help you to find some great opportunities. So obviously from that point, um, it was obviously deciding then about what startup to join. So how do you necessarily as an individual evaluate a startup and, and its potential? That is the key. And because a lot of startups don't make it, right? And so what you want to be able to do is to choose a startup that not only has a good story, but one that has both a good story as well as a good chance for success. So if I would have been at maybe one or two that had really good exits, maybe I just would have been flat out lucky. But because it's been several, here's what I've learned. The first thing that I look for are quality people who share my values, right? And so people reflect the company's culture. And if you don't think you can respect trust and admire the management team that's involved, uh, move on. And, and what you're looking for here is a solid team of leaders who rock your world. Uh, so that's the first thing that I look for. The second is a concept that fills a big market need. So you will find that buyers, particularly now more than ever, that they're not going to spend money on nice to have or should solve problems. They're going to spend money on must-solve problems. And so you want to be able to suss that out. And in particular, by doing some Google research to see what the influencers and the analysts are writing about that market so that you can see that that market, in fact, is big enough. And don't be worried too much if you see that there's competition. In fact, it should worry you more if you see that there's no competition because that might suggest that there isn't a market. Third thing that I look for is a great product that that I believe in. And so to me, this is all about is does that product or service, how does it resonate with you? Do you believe in it? Would you purchase, use, or recommend it? You want to choose a startup where you can go to work every day with a passion for what the company creates and in particular, your role in creating it. So if you can't get behind that that product, that service with enthusiasm, move on. And then finally, that the startup is well-funded. So naturally, you want to choose a startup that has a long enough runway to get off the ground. What you want to make sure is that it is properly capitalized so you have the best chance for growth and stability. I make sure that all of those boxes are checked. And if you do, odds are you'll have a good shot that you have selected a company that can break out and succeed. 
Yeah, I, I suppose one of the challenges is um, sometimes a startup can be going in a direction that nobody else has been before, and therefore you've got nothing to compare against, um, and it could be quite disruptive. Um, so I suppose there's an element of risk when you look at some companies and, and or startups and where they're going. There's an element of risk, but what you'll find is, is that even some of the startups that seem like they're in completely new directions, that upon further review, you'll find that there may be some new aspects to it, but there are uh, analogies, you know, corollaries that you could see from other industries or other examples that what you'll find is that sometimes what seems so terribly new actually really is, is not quite as new as you might have thought at first blush. You know, I really think what it comes down to is asking the right questions such that you can really get at the the proper answers. And of course, when you go through that sort of process of trying to join a, a, a startup, you can go through obviously evaluating which companies that you'd like to join. But in terms of actually being able to put yourself in a position where you get the best opportunity of being offered a role with that company, what would you suggest? What can you recommend to somebody who would like to do that? The first thing that I would say is, is that I would recommend that people sort of first ask the right questions, right? And and I'd like to share a few of these with your listeners first and then a follow-up on it, mainly because this is just so critically important. And if some of the listeners are going to take out a pen or type some things, this would be the right time. Because these are the questions I ask when I think about joining. So I'll ask things like, why is now the time for your company to exist? I'll ask questions like, tell me about the milestones, very specifically, your company has achieved. Or what do you love about your team and why are you the ones to solve this problem? Tell me about your first paying customer or a paying customer and what was their journey to actually become a a customer, and what are your revenue expectations over the next year for that company? Uh, How much has the company raised, and what is its runway? Who are your investors, and why did you choose them? And to me, this one is is really a, a key. If you weren't building your startup, what would you be doing? I think that if you look at some of the criteria that I mentioned, and then you ask those questions, Odds are you're going to have more information on you know, whether or not that role that might be offered to you is within a company that actually is a really good fit beyond one that could have a good chance at succeeding. Steve, could you maybe share a career tip that would help somebody actually progress their career within a startup? One of the things that I think is so important is really sort of the the elephant in the room at most startups, which is people are concerned that at startups, they're going to have to work 15-hour days, seven days a week. Yeah. That is never good, right? And so what I've learned, and probably one of the biggest career tips that I would give, uh, because I'm, I, I'm kind of a workaholic. I mean, I that's in my DNA, but I learned, I didn't start out this way, but I learned early on how to protect my calendar such that I could have sort of um, 
I don't even like to use the phrase work-life balance. I, I, I use work-life harmony mainly because I think that, that things ebb and flow and there's not a right and wrong answer. And so the tip that I would offer essentially is this, is that go take a look at your calendar right now. And if you're opening up your calendar now, is the most important item on your calendar you? Are you priority number one? Does your calendar reflect this? And so one way to take a look at it is over the next couple of weeks, check to see how many appointments you have with yourself uh, this week and next. And I'll bet if you're like most, you have too few. And think about some of the most valuable uses of your time that you're not able to uh, put forward as a high priority, right? And so maybe that is uh, being home for dinner with your family or leaving a little bit later. Maybe that's working out at lunch because that's something that you really want to be able to do. Maybe that's time to think strategically. Perhaps that's time to invest in your own education and your training so you can learn something new. I think the key is, is that you can't just leave white space on your calendar. You've got to block that time out for yourself. And then if you do that, what I have learned is that you could sort of manage to a, a, just a really nice harmony between your uh, personal life and getting the most enjoyment and benefit from that, as well as uh, getting all the benefits that you want from a career perspective at work. And that's a great perspective to have. I think um, I tend to agree with you. I think it's more of a sort of an integration or a harmony, as you put it, um, between life and work. And I think that's what makes the difference. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure. So what's the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice that I've ever received was from a mentor of mine. And the advice was, so I was just at a, um, at a startup that uh, had a nice exit. And I was contacted by a very large technology company that starts with uh, an M and it's located in Seattle that I can't mention probably. <laughs> and so, um, and I was interviewing for a big time job. In fact, um, at that time, Steve Ballmer was part of the interview process. And my wife, they, they brought my wife out and they, they were good. I mean, their recruiting was amazing. Uh, so much so that they got a chance to learn that my son loved video games and literally the next day an Xbox showed up for him. And so I, I uh, was leaving that startup and basically they offered a job and I, and I went to go meet with a mentor of mine. And he said, Steve, you know, you're kind of a startup guy. Like, do you, do you really understand what it's going to be like in this new you know, big role that you're about ready to accept? And so he advised me to ask a few more questions. And I went back to the hiring manager and said, gee, if we were going to take advantage of a big time opportunity that could really accelerate revenue, and I had to get quickly updates to Microsoft.com to, to capitalize on that revenue opportunity, tell me a little bit about what that actually would entail. And what I learned was I would have been miserable. 
<laughs> it would have been yes. like uh, sort of kind of getting a, a bill through Congress in the United States, right? And so it's just like would have been hard and too slow. And the advice I was given was to go back, ask one more question from someone who really knew me. And that question caused me to, to actually not take that position and to stay the startup course. And conversely, what's the worst career advice you've ever received? I would have to say it was don't acknowledge the elephant in the room. So there was a time once, and I went back and I actually did this, that one of the startups that I was at was going through a major change. And the change was to our leadership team in Europe. And what I was told by others was, look, um, the CEO's got it. Don't worry about it. And everything will be okay. And this was at a high-flying startup. And Europe was 35% of our company's revenues. And I saw you know, potential problem brewing. And like this great equity that we built up maybe going away. And so there were several other folks on the management team just said, leave it alone, let it go. And so that was the path that I was going to take. And I sat on it for a couple of days and then got with our CEO. And what I learned was he didn't really have a game plan. (laughs) And so um, the advice I was given was to sort of not acknowledge the elephant in the room, leave it alone, assume people have things and that they're well under control. And I just asked a simple question and I found out they actually weren't. And then I was able to quickly um, work with the CEO and actually volunteered to be part of the solution and help get everything back on track and actually better. And so, you know, I think a lot of times when you just kind of go with the flow or advise to do that, because it seems like perhaps the uh, there's less pain associated with doing it. Maybe you're not confronting reality, maybe the way that you might, that unlike fine wine, those challenges and problems uh, rarely get better. And so I think actually uh, taking a different course was very helpful to not following a path that could have gotten us in trouble and actually taking us on a path that took us to more success. So Steve, if you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? I'd go right to the startup world, right out of college. And there's a lot of people not doing that. And I will tell you why. The reason for this is, first of all, if you are in college and a lot of people that, uh, for example, a friend of mine, Josiah Sternfeld, he's a professor at the University of Texas Macomb School of Business. And he asks his students where they plan to work once they graduate. And the overwhelming majority say a large corporation. And when those students think startups, the way that they think about it is they think about it as like, well, okay, that means I got to start something up. I've got to be Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. In spite of the fact, just in the United States alone, there's 46,000 startups today. Right. And there was a survey recently done of startup CEOs. And the number one issue keeping them up at night is hiring good people, not growing revenue, not acquiring customers, not gaining access to more capital, actually hiring good people. 
And so I think that if you consider sort of these smaller companies, a lot of people think that they're more risky. I'd submit that they actually are probably no more risky in many cases than large corporations where they do rifts and layoffs and stuff all the time like that. And the reason for all of that advice is twofold. First is that if you look at these organizations, the world pays for deep, deep knowledge. And then you could broaden out your general knowledge. And so if you want to put yourself, at least from a financial perspective, into a position where you can maximize your income, you have an opportunity, typically because there are less people at startups, if you're willing to go for it, to have an opportunity to sort of be a sponge and to take on many more things in your particular domain than oftentimes what you might within a large corporation. That's one. The second reason is if you're fortunate enough to get stock options, that is really the game changer. And here's why I say that, is that if you look at most investments, say you invest in the stock market. Now, obviously the stock market right now is pretty goofy, but you could do all the research in the world and you really don't know the people and the companies that you're investing in. Now, granted, you can make smarter decisions than others. But what I've found is that like, as you get older, a funny thing happens. You start making more money, but as you start making more money, you start spending more too. So you get married, you have kids, you buy a car, you buy a house, right? And so it's really hard to get ahead. And so if you're fortunate enough to get stock options and you get in early on, you choose a good startup, taking some of the criteria that we've talked with before, I've always viewed that the best investment that I make is in myself and the team that I work with. And it's those stock options that should you be fortunate enough to be able to participate in an exit enables you to create financial separation. And so I wouldn't waste my time going into organizations where I had no shot at that whatsoever. I'd really want to position myself where, you know, you're not going to get a ton right out of school, but, you know, you also may be working at a large corporation right now and and be very valuable to a startup where you can be in that situation. And so I would encourage people to take that route. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Communication. Even if you are super technical, if you look at the super techies, the super techies who are also great communicators, those people tend to be amazingly successful, at least in the people that I've been around with, and they're rare as well. And so when I say communication, there are all different types of communication styles, right? And so you could have a style that might be very outspoken and and very sort of loud or what have you, or someone who's very analytical and, but the, the communication skills and in particular, your ability to listen, to be thoughtful with respect to listening and formulating what you say before talking. But I think that communication skills you might think are like maybe better than what they are, but they're just not. And those communication skills now extend to communication vehicles. So for example, 
in technology like Slack or communication via email or text, that's communicating too. And so like if you're texting with executives and it's misspelling after misspelling or you're constantly replying to all, even though you might be communicating very directly with only a person or two, um, that's communication too, right? Or if uh, you're perhaps uh, choosing not to respond, which a lot of people sometimes do, and you know maybe a don't error on the side of responsiveness or get pe- get back to people and say, look, I can't get back with you now, but I can at this time. All of that is communication as well. And so to me, I think that that is a skill that's just so critically important to hone and and to become good at. Yeah, I think it goes to the central point about that all these organizations, whether they're large corporates or startups, it's all about the people. And without the communication skills, those organizations do not work. Absolutely. And, you know, even when you're communicating and you might feel great empathy, but if you don't say it, no one will understand that empathy or one of the lost arts of communication that to me, this is unfortunate is the simple act of saying, thank you. People don't do it enough. Right. And so I try to make a habit of it, whether it's in virtually every email uh, that is appropriate or what have you, uh, please thank yous. They're in short supply and, you know, people want to be appreciated and, and community. And you don't have to be, you might say, well, gee, I don't get that from my boss. You could start that at any level. That's a part of the communication, at least that I'm referring to. Well, this podcast is called the IT Career Energizer. How do you keep your own career energized? I keep my career energized by constant learning. And I love it, right? And so, and this is not someone creating a training plan for me. I can't remember. In fact, I'm trying to get in my mind's eye. I don't think I've ever had a formal training plan that's been created for me. And honestly, I wouldn't want one. And so the bottom line is, is my deep domain of expertise, I've got a pretty general one from a management perspective, but is marketing. And if you look at what marketing was when I got started 30 years ago, or even three years ago, versus what it is now, right? And so marketing today, as an example, is very financial. It's about the metrics. I mean, you've got to have the numbers down pat. And it wasn't always that way, right? And so staying on top of kind of the latest of what's going on in your field, trying to learn about what's going on in other industries or other fields that might be perhaps applied to your unique situation, I think is so important. And it's partly what keeps me invigorated because I want to try new things. I want to have the opportunity to to break the mold, to change the game, to maybe deliver a little bit of a better result than perhaps what some of my competitors are doing. And, and that really comes with a constant eye to what's new, what could I learn, how can I get better, as well as the team that I work for constantly, at least in my case, buying them books, sending really cool new articles on 
interesting topics, uh, discussing things like that, where it's just not necessarily just all the the current objective that we're focused in on. That that's the type of stuff that uh, that keeps me refreshed and energized. And what do you do in your spare time away from the tech startup world? I paddleboard quite a bit. I'm actually talking to you from overlooking Galveston Bay uh, in Texas right now. Uh, I recently started taking uh, Cessna pilots lessons, and I've taught myself extremely poorly how to play guitar. In fact, a lot of people can't (laughs) recognize the songs that I'm playing other than me, but they sound great in my mind's eye. <laughs> and Steve, can you share with us a final story about what it's like inside a high-flying startup? One story I would share is I remember when I joined a, a cybersecurity startup company and the CEO organized a meeting with the company's leadership where I'd learn about the big challenges facing the company. And this, these were challenges my new team and I would be responsible for solving. And when I heard them, some, I think, may have viewed those challenges as insurmountable because we were taking on some big competitors that had all the advantages. But I knew that successfully solving for those challenges would ultimately determine the fate of the company. And so I went back and my new team and I went to work. And I'll never forget how they stepped up, how incredibly hard they worked the amazing creativity and enthusiasm they brought to the table every day. We delivered a new uh, marketing plan for the company in 90 days that that changed the game and put our competitors into positions they couldn't defend. We launched that plan at lightning speed and did it well and put the company on a much more successful course. And it was so cool to see the entire organization align around that plan. And it was at that point we knew that the market was ours for the taking. And it turns out it was an incredible five-year ride and not one single day felt like work. And now, incredibly, about 16, 17 years after that company successfully exited, so many of us descend on Houston, Texas from all over the world every year at annual reunion parties. And all we could do is reminisce how awesome it was to be part of something so special. We learned so much and we created bonds that will last the rest of our lives. That's what it's like and certainly a, a great scenario and, and memory I'll never, I'll never lose for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Um, obviously, we touched on it at the beginning of the show, but can you tell us a little bit about your book, Be a Startup Superstar? Yes. Yeah, so um, Be a Startup Superstar, it's a book that is focused on helping people understand why you should choose a startup, how to find and land a job at the best startup, and under what I call seven keys to the C-suite, 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors uh, one must have to maximize success at a startup It's a quick read. It's written very much in a how-to format. You could buy that book wherever books are sold online or going to the book's website, which is beastartupsuperstar.com. Great. And finally, where can we find out more about you and connect with you? Well, you could go right to beastartupsuperstar.com and connect with me directly. 
I'd love to hear from your listeners, particularly if they have questions or comments on the book. I, I respond to every one of them. Steve, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. It's been wonderful being with you, Phil. Thank you. Hi, Phil here again. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with today's guest. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e and the number of the episode you've been listening to. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do so that you get episodes automatically downloaded to your device every Monday. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.